This is David Rhymes, and you're listening to Episode 7 of Footnotable, a podcast about discovering the truth in the details of everyday life. Joining me, as always, is Oren Connor, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church in beautiful downtown Baton Rouge. Even though they're married, starting families, over a decade in the workforce, and nearing their 40s, millennials are still a hot topic of conversation. This is especially true as it relates to millennials and the church. On today's episode, we'll discuss solutions to common problems related to this topic. So right off the bat, let's go ahead and get something out of the way. You and I, Oren, are Gen Xers. Proudly. Proudly, very proudly, with full plaid, whatever, and our Nirvana CDs. Um, We are Gen Xers. We we just want to put all of our cards on the table because we're going to be talking about millennials today. And we are not millennials. And so we don't have a millennial guest to come talk about this with us because there's not that much room in our closets. <laughs> Limited space. So we're just kind of going ahead and letting everybody know we're going to be talking about a generation that is not our own. However, we are wanting to do so to help kind of get some facts and myths situated particularly as it relates to millennials and the church, because these guys have been big time in the conversation sphere for over a decade now. There have been multiple books, countless articles, and they're still being written about millennials. This is a very important generation. This is a very large generation population-wise. It's a very influential generation as far as our culture and how our culture will be shaped moving forward. And that also has implications for the church, particularly here in America and also around the world. And as millennials are beginning to get older, they're beginning to get married, they're beginning to have kids and they've been in the workforce for, for quite a while now, over a decade in some cases. Um, we want to make sure that we are still speaking factually and knowledgeably about this generation because this is going to be something in front of us for quite a while uh, until their kids really come of age a- and they are the ones shaping uh, culture Um however they get labeled, if they're still going to be iGens or Gen X or not Gen X, but Gen Z or whatever it is. But today it's millennials. That's what we're talking about. Yep. And, and understanding those, those lines between X millennial and Gen Z is, is kind of important um, because sometimes the lines get blurred and there's some overlap there, but to be, to be, sort of in a, in a, an understanding of who we're talking about, the, the Gen X generation, you and I are, is, is the smallest generation of the 20th century. So our parents were baby boomers. They were about 77 million baby boomers born in America through a period of time. 
Then there was a steep drop off to Gen X, which is about 45 to 50 million. And then millennials spiked and went over 77 to close to 80 million millennials. And so there was kind of a dip and then a rise in population in our country. And what we're talking about are the either the um, the the young, much younger siblings of Gen Xers, or in most cases, are the children of the youngest baby boomers, um, or the oldest Gen Xers. And this is a large, large, large group of our population. And as you said, they drive so much of what happens in our culture because there's so many of them. Politics, finance, culture itself, and how we understand art and media and social media, all these things are affected by millennials. So as Christians and as church leaders, we have to be aware of the generation that is here and is going to continue to come for quite a while, how it is that we, we reach them, we disciple them, we share Christ with them and love them. Um, because as you said before, much has been written, much has been said. Some of it's been very um, kind of ugly and, and maligned um, are, are maligning the next generation. And so we need to be careful and uh, understanding here as we proceed so that we can can have the spirit of Christ through all the disciple making, whether they're senior adults from the from the greatest generation or the boomer generation or the Gen X generation or millennial or Z or whatever's next. We need to have a balanced approach to all the people that we're seeking to reach. And millennials are the largest group right now that we're dealing with. And so we need to be wise about how we do that. And one of the things that we have to keep in mind is we do need to understand them properly. We don't need to give in to generalizations and stereotypes. Correct. No generation likes to be stereotyped. I mean, our generation was stereotyped. Very much. I mean, they they plastered us, you know, on the covers of like Time and Life and things like that and and made us look like a bunch of just apathetic slackers. Unmotivated, yeah. Unmotivated, yeah. And while there were definitely some traits where those particular characteristics were very much noticeable, more so in our generation than others. You can't paint with broad strokes an entire generation. And so millennials also get a bad rap sometimes with these stereotypes. And so we don't want to get into a conversation like this and overgeneralize and say things like, well, all millennials this and, you know, most millennials and many millennials well, that's not always the case. There are even different uh, subgroups within the millennial demographic that express their worldview, how they interpret culture, how they go about things differently, even within that millennial generation. So we all do have to sort of talk about a generation kind of under the overarching umbrella of being a millennial. We really want to avoid negative stereotypes and overgeneralizations, because that's just not going to be helpful. No. And, and one of the challenges is that unlike previous generations, the approach to religion and spirituality is much more diverse than our generation or the generations before us. A lot of other factors and variables have been sort of thrown into the pot, into this mixture to understand how millennials think about matters of faith, and God, and the church, and the Bible, uh, and spirituality. And so there are more challenges for us and for older generations to understand and not overgeneralize and not use sort of these, these sweeping universal accusations or generalizations 
regarding millennials. They are very diverse, 80 million strong, and we have to be uh, willing to to deal with persons and smaller groups of people rather than just casting a net over the whole thing and say, well, everybody's like this, because that's just simply not the case. Right. And so we're going to get right down to it. Uh, because so much has been written and said about millennials, we're not going to drag out that dead horse and just beat it with some more sticks today. Because you can read ad nauseum books and articles about millennials in general, and particularly about millennials and the church. And we may throw some of those that we would recommend in the show notes and, and give a link to those so that if you want to do your own reading and research on that, you can. What we want to do today is let's talk about some of the common, we'll call them problems. We're not trying to say millennials are problematic, but these are some of the issues that arise that are discussed as what do we do with millennials as it relates to the church. And rather than just kind of sitting here on belly aching, like, you know, a couple of uh, sulking Gen Xers or whatever, we're going to offer some solutions. How can the church relate to and reach out to millennials? And how can we specifically overcome some of the issues that are posed when we talk about millennials and specifically evangelical Christianity? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we need to have a, a proper biblical Christ-centered approach, um, a, a proper worldview that takes into consideration all of these challenges and has a biblical answer to these challenges that, that come up. Um, reaching millennials is not easy because of the diversity, because of the varying viewpoints and worldviews. And so we have to deal with the claims themselves and provide uh, proper biblical solutions and answers to these challenges that, 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 that we face in reaching the next and beyond that, the next generation after them. So, so what's the first, so what's the first claim that we would, um, that we would deal with here? So if we were to take the overarching claim and state that, and then from there branch off into these different issues, the overarching claim would be that the church is outdated and weighed down by old world ways of thinking. Therefore, uh, it doesn't hold relevance for millennials. Therefore, it really is kind of behind the times and the millennials are leaving the church. They're leaving organized religion, not because they don't, they don't see value in the core teachings of say Christianity, but they just see all the baggage that's been left over from centuries and a couple of millennia in the case of Christianity. And it's just unattractive. And it makes Christianity look like uh, some carryover from old world Europe. And they just don't want any part of that. And so that's kind of the overarching claim that we see in a lot of the articles of why millennials are leaving Christianity, why they're leaving religion. And so that's kind of where we start. But I think we have to understand is that as believers, biblical, tr biblical truth is not weighing down the church. There may be some things about certain expressions of the church globally that millennials may find off-putting, but the truth of the gospel, the fundamental truth of what the Bible teaches this is not a ball and chain for us as believers, and we don't need to look at it that way. So let's actually get into some of the specific issues, specific problems that do come up 
and let's talk about some real solution. So here we go. Problem number one. While the Bible remains true and relevant, it has become strange in the ears of some millennials. Mm -hmm. So this is not a unique problem only to millennials in that every generation of humanity, especially since um, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, some people in all generations have had trouble hearing and understanding the Bible. The particular challenge I believe that that is facing millennial generation is they are the children and um, the grandchildren of this hyper-progressive, hyper-technological, advancing society from winning a war in Europe and in, in Japan, World War II, to building this, this world power in America especially, and then entering into the period of free love and free sex and and this hyper growth of a nation where we are wealthy and powerful and strong. And, and now they are the, the fruit of those two previous generations. And they've adopted in some ways or been brought up, I guess would be a better way to say it, a number of differing viewpoints when it comes to matters of faith and spirituality. And so let me be clear, it's not as though millennials don't believe that there, there isn't a God. Or they, they believe that there isn't a God. They they believe, and many of them believe in some form of spirituality, of spiritual wellness. The problem is when you come to the Bible and you start making um, authoritative, definitive claims about who Jesus is, about what God expects of humanity, about what the Bible teaches about how we are to live, many millennials push back on that because they have not seen consistency in the previous generations who say they believe the Bible. And so there's a conflict in their own minds and, and hearts. You say you believe this, but your lives don't reflect the thing you say you believe. So there must be another way. And so the Bible to them sounds strange, not, all, not only because it's just not true to them, it's because they may not have seen any or many good examples of people who actually believe and live out those biblical claims, those biblical truths. And so one of the things that we have to do is be very careful to teach the Bible, to teach Bible literacy, as we would say, not um, just read, knowing how to read, but how to read the Bible, how to understand what it says and why it matters. God does not teach and give us instruction on things that do not matter. Everything in the Bible has what, what I often call eternal significance. Everything that is said in the Bible will resonate throughout all eternity. The word of God does not die. Therefore, what God has said in his word matters to every generation, the one before us, ours, and the one after us, and the one after that. And so teaching how, how the Bible matters in life is a huge, huge step for us to help millennials see that even though you may have seen um, bad examples, and listen, this is reality. People fail. In, in some sense, we're all hypocrites when it comes to what we say we believe and what we do. But there are also opportunities for us to show all people, and in this particular case, millennials, what it is that God expects of us, why it is that we can't seem to get it right, and the hope that we have in Jesus to be our righteousness, to be our sacrifice, and that his word matters in all cases and in all 
situations. We don't get to pick and choose what is true. It's not a buffet where we take the parts we like and toss the parts we don't, which is a very common sort of religious practice among millennials. They pick and choose what they want from Christianity, from Buddhism, from Hinduism, from New Age movements, from cultural beliefs, and kind of form their own sort of kind of conglomeration of belief. And it's spiritual, and sometimes they're very convinced of what they believe, but it's not rooted in any kind of real uh, relevant truth. It's sort of pieced together as it fits their worldview, as opposed to forming their worldview from what the scriptures teach. So we have to teach the Bible and teach it consistently, live it consistently, and be faithful in our approach to to uh, giving those instructions from the Word of God to the next generation. Yeah, we don't live in a time where we can just assume that the culture around us is as familiar with the contents of the Bible as they were in previous generations. And so sometimes what happens is we're putting this truth out there and because there's no background in, in, in some millennials, there's no place for them to kind of hang their hat on as, as it comes uh, to what the Bible is actually about, what it contains. They, they don't connect those dots about the narrative of scripture and the teachings that come out of scripture. It just sort of all sounds like somebody on a soapbox, you know, saying things that are supposed to be taken at, at you know, take me at my word. This is true. This is authoritative, but based on, on what? And so that's why biblical literacy is so important. We have to reclaim a high level of biblical literacy, not just in our churches, but also in the culture as a whole. It's really beneficial for us as believers to know well how to read the Bible, the different genres that the Bible is written in, uh, the, the, the context in which the Bible is written in, and how we take the Bible written in a particular place and time and see that truth that God breathed there and then bring that truth into our modern context without losing any of it, but yet finding how we apply that into our current situation. And when you can't understand what to do with a book like Ecclesiastes, when you're not understanding how the gospels are structured and why some of the similarities, why some of the differences when uh, books like revelation and parts of Daniel just make absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's hard for you to take seriously the claims of the Bible. Sometimes we have to step back and reform that foundation through Bible literacy. And thankfully, there are some really good tools that are out there to help not only us as believers, but also those that are in that millennial generation to begin to do that so that when we talk about these truths, we can point to scripture, they can read it, understand it and go, okay, now I see where you're getting this. Now I see how it actually does make sense within this book you call the Bible. And now I do see how you're making that, that step from the page into real life. That's exactly right. And so to bridge this particular uh, 
problem and solution to the next one, you mentioned something about tying the truths of scripture to the reality of life. And there's one of the, one of the words that defines one of the deep desires of millennials, and that is the word community. And what's really, really beautiful about the scriptures and more particularly about the Christian church is that we are meant as believers, as followers of Jesus to share in our growing in understanding the text. No other religion in the world emphasizes the we as much as Christianity does. Christianity is built on the idea that individuals come together as one body and walk together in this. So what happens in the community of a local church is you get to see in the lives of other people, in the case of millennials, older generations, why these things matter. Despite all of the technological changes in the world and all of the new issues that have been brought up in our, in our, in our societies, people are essentially the same. We have the same struggles. We have the same fears. We have the same problems, which ultimately boils down to our sin. And so being part of a community helps you make a bridge between the truths of Scripture and how they're applied in everyday real life, because you get to witness that and share in that the lives of other people, even though you may have some differing opinions about how certain things are to operate on a practical level. And so the community of the local church is one of the greatest tools we have as Christians to share in the truths of God and to and to connect the realities of Scripture to the reality of, of living our lives every day in obedience to Christ. And that brings us to one of the, the issues that we see, not so much for millennials, but for the church relating to millennials. And that is this idea that the church needs a separate service. We need different music, a different feel, a different preaching style, uh, whatever it is. We have to have that in order to reach millennials. And that's really a myth that we need to just debunk and put to the side because you've basically provided the solution in what you just said. Millennials and their children need the church. They need all of it. And we need millennials and their children. We can't separate a demographic from the rest of the body of Christ and expect it to have positive ramifications on their individual spiritual maturity, but also on the overall health of the body of Christ. Absolutely right. And we, we can't approach it as, uh, so we're, we're, we've been alive more years than you have, therefore we're right and you're wrong. This, that is such a foolish way of approaching anything in life. Just because you're older doesn't mean you know know all the right answers. Just because you're younger doesn't mean you can't have answers either. We have to approach this starting with the Bible. What does the Bible say and why does it matter for all of us? Because the reality is the truths in scripture are true for every person, regardless of what age you are. And so connecting the community with the believer and the, and the family is vital to understanding things like marriage and parenting children and education and how are we to live in a, in a highly politicized society? What does the Bible teach us about money and what we should do with our money, what we should do with our time? There are differing opinions about these things. And many times, um, and, and we, we, we see this a lot now with the whole OK Boomer sort of thing between m millennials and boomers who are either their parents or maybe their grandparents have a, a real distinct divide about how things should operate. 
the church bridges those divides and helps us come to an agreement and understanding of what is best based on the word of God. And this is the challenge we have because a lot of millennials are, are spiritual, as I'll say, well, spiritual, but not religious, what I think is a, is a foolish categorization, but let's take that as it is. The, the, the nature of the church is practical. It's not this ethereal, spiritual, theological, sort of uh, 30,000 feet in the air kind of believing things that may or may not be true. God gave us his word to put down into the dirt on the ground with feet applied to life every day. So these things really matter. And why we disagree with them matters as well. Why is it that a 25-year-old parent of a two-year-old, let's say, or uh, and, 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 and the grandparent of that two-year-old have a very different view of parenting. Why? They're, they're from the same family. You would think that they would have a very, very similar view of parenting. Well, how do we as a church help both grandparents and grandchildren understand how to approach parenting and marriage and those other issues in a, in a healthy, faithful way? Um, this is a huge, huge, huge challenge for the church. Um, and so what are your, what are your thoughts on, on, on some of these things, Dave? Well, the church is definitely essential because it is that bridge. You know, every generation has a way of thinking. You know, there's a fallacy sometimes that's out there and you'll hear it from older generations about younger generations. And that is that generation, they don't value X. Mm -hmm. And I, that's not true. I think every generation shares the same values, but we prioritize those values differently. So I think it's unfair to point to another generation, older or younger, and say, well, they don't value X. They do value X. They just may not value it as much as you do. So you, you take someone that is from that greatest generation. They value patriotism a lot. There's nothing wrong with being patriotic. And they will look at a younger generation and go, well, you, you don't value patriotism because you don't fly the flag like we do. Uh, you don't seem to talk about uh, your pride as an American or, uh, you know, being, being free like the way that we do. Uh, you just seem very lazy and discontented. You don't value patriotism. Well, that's not fair because they do, and at some level, value patriotism. They just don't express it at the same level of priority that another generation does. And so we have to remind ourselves is that because every generation thinks differently on different issues and prioritizes their values differently, we should expect that some millennials are going to think differently about life, about parenting, marriage, work, spiritual things. And so instead of saying, well, you don't value that. So we're just going to kind of turn off the conversation there because your prioritization or your way of thinking of those things is not exactly the same of mine. We have to be uh, willing to listen. Now, here's the catch. Just because some millennials do think different differently, it doesn't mean that they think necessarily better on all those subjects. We, we should be willing to listen and hear their perspective. But just like we had some wrongheaded thinking in our generation, and in fact still do, there's some wrongheaded thinking 
among millennials as well. So the church needs to listen, but not acquiesce. This this is not a tantruming child demanding its way and a parent just caving and saying, okay, here, 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 whatever do you want, just so long as you're happy. We, we listen because we want to get to know millennials better. We want to hear their perspective. But listening is not the same as giving in and acquiescing to whatever demands, let's just use that word, come out of that conversation. We can celebrate what's good in those perspectives, but we also need to challenge what's wrong with Scripture because that's the point. One of the main points of Scripture is to correct we have to use it like a mirror to correct our own lives, our own thinking. And we also have to put it out there for others when they're in error, not with our preferences, but with the actual word of God and gently show them where, what they think, how they want to live their lives is not matching up with scripture. Right. It's, it's basically saying this is the right way to live based upon God's instruction. This is how we are to understand what God has taught us and how he expects us to live. Therefore, if your worldview is is different from what God is saying in his word, it's not the word that needs to change. It's your worldview that needs to change. You need to adjust what you believe and how you behave based upon what the word of God reveals. And sometimes we approach this in a backwards way. You know, I mentioned this a couple of times already here today, and I think we can move on to because it kind of bridges to the next issue we want to talk about, which is coming to the Christian faith or trying to understand the Christian faith with certain presuppositions about life and about spiritual matters of faith. And those presuppositions are rooted in um, in things that are just simply not true or are at the very best misunderstood, at worst are hostile to biblical teachings. Now, why a person would be hostile to Christian faith is a, is a, a very number of reasons, but the primary one I think we see is because people simply have seen Christians either misbehaving themselves, maybe a person's been hurt by the church, or maybe they just don't like Christian people, and they, they, therefore they, resi- they, they reject the whole faith itself. And many, many, of, many occasions, it's because they've come to the faith itself with pre- certain presuppositions that simply aren't true. And so how does the church then help them address this in a loving, compassionate way, but also in a strong way? Your, your worldview is backwards. Here's the proper way to see it. Because this, this is a matter of both being strong in what we believe from the word of God, but also being merciful and compassionate and patient, giving people time to essentially change how they think about the word of God. Why is that such a problem? Why is that such a, it, it seems to be a more market problem today than it was in previous generations. Why is that the case? And, and, and what's, our, what's our answer for that? You know, for many years, the church had the advantage to cater to very similar presuppositions, values, and morals held by unbelievers. Once upon a time, it was not uncommon in America to find somebody who was who was not following Jesus. Maybe even went as far as to say, "I'm I'm I'm irreligious." But you would find in their lives value sets and moral standards 
that were distinctly Christian in nature, even if that other person didn't acknowledge that, there was still a heavy Judeo-Christian influence in their upbringing and the shaping of their worldview, we no longer have that advantage. We're not speaking to a culture these days that has had that type of Judeo-Christian upbringing. They do have very different presuppositions. Uh, They do prioritize values differently. And morals have been largely redefined and are right now very fluid in our culture. And we've not been in a place as a, as the church in America like this ever. This is unfamiliar territory for us. And this is very uncomfortable. People used to just nod their heads in agreement when, when the church spoke on these things. Now they're saying, no way, we disagree. We'll, de- we'll define this moral situation on our own terms. We'll look to ourselves for answers. And so we find ourselves, rather than entering into dialogue, to be honest, we kind of just fall down on the ground like a tantruming toddler and start kicking and screaming and calling names. That's not a proper response. Just because somebody doesn't agree with us doesn't mean that they don't need the same love and care and compassion in this in this this conversation as somebody who may be a lot closer to what we believe but yet still an unbeliever and so we need to leave a lot of room for honest doubts i don't mean like you know i, I doubt the the virgin birth of jesus well we don't leave any room for that but i mean honest doubts about other faith issues where they're trying to explore things and trying to just figure out how the world really works. And if the Bible, what it's saying really does match up with reality, we don't need to let difficult questions and objections become our enemy. We need to learn as a church to how to engage those properly while standing firm on the truth of scripture. Absolutely. I think one of the challenges we face is the battle between uh, the power of subjectivity versus objectivity. And that we live in a society today, and this is not only unique to millennials. I think a lot of people and a lot of generations sort of, I would say, suffer from this this ailment um, of how they believe. But it's especially prevalent in the millennial generation in that how I feel is more important than what is or is not true. And my truth, and that's a famous one, it's a popular one here, is I have to tell my truth or you tell your truth, which is a, it's a totally foreign phrase to you and I and to any generation before us. What is my truth? There is either truth or there's not. And this, this is an age old debate that's been, that that's gone on for, for generations, but it has, it has taken on a new, and I would say in some cases kind of monstrous form where the person's subjective feeling and understanding of the world is primary. And anything that you introduce into a relationship that is supposed to be objective for all people is is often looked upon with great suspicion. Because if it's true for all people, then they have to believe it as well. But if it opposes their subjective experience, well, then there's an inner conflict that they have to deal with. Do I trust my personal experience, which I know is true, I've been through this, versus something that's outside of me? 
that's going to change the way I have to live my life. I don't trust the objectivity. I trust only the subjectivity. And that basic sort of approach to life has morphed into this, this illness in the mind and in the heart of so many young people who define life, not strictly, but mostly on their subjective experiences. And this has ramifications in morality, politics, economy, education. It has tentacles and roots in all sorts of different facets of life. We cannot live based on my truth or your truth or it, it is God's truth that becomes then my truth, but it's only mine because it was given to me by God. It's God's truth. And this is a huge sticking point in the church today, because if you have a Bible teaching church that preaches the authoritative, absolute truth of God's word, a person who has this sort of subjective approach to life is going to come into your church, fellowship with your people, and sit under this kind of teaching. It's going to, in some cases, be very abrasive to them. They may be drawn to the person of Jesus, but they may they may sort of bristle at the authority of Jesus because it requires them to, uh, to accept something that is objectively true for all of us versus something that they can embrace that's only true for themselves. This is a huge sticking point for a lot of young people. And that we can't just say either get on board or get out the way. We can't approach it that way. We have to be able to enter into their space in some degree with our hearts set on the truth and have a genuine conversation with them. Now, to, to the point you made earlier, that's not always easy to have, is it? I mean, you get up and you start saying there's absolute truth and you get yelled at and people dismiss you, you get canceled. We hear about cancel culture all the time because they just don't want to hear it. And sometimes those people are hard to convince. I think that's a minority of people, honestly. You can have an honest, genuine conversation with a young adult about objective truth versus subjective experiences and come to an agreement about where you're going to stand at that point. And over time, which is the process of discipleship, you can bring a person along to see that the objective truths of Scripture are actually vital and valuable to living a healthy, flourishing life versus living your life moment to moment, day to day, simply by how you feel, your, your subjective experiences. It's not to discount what you've experienced, but we have to shape what we've, what we've experienced by what is absolutely true. If we live only by how we feel, we will be always and only disappointed, frustrated, angry, and sad. When we live by what's true, we can fight those emotions and those feelings with something that we know is abiding forever, which is the truth of God's word. And so that is one of the major, major obstacles facing us. How do we communicate objective truth to a generation that believes in subjectivity over objectivity? This is a difficult problem that we have to face. And the more we talk about this and the more people that really want to find solutions for this in the church, dig into this issue, it becomes very clear. This is not a short-term solution. You're not going to find a out-of-the-box kit that is going to solve your millennial issues as a church. We're in it for the long haul because these, these millennials, they're, many of them are parents. 
you know, some of them, they're about to cross over into their 40s. So these these are not college kids. We keep sometimes trying to put them back, you know, a decade. Early 20s, yeah. Yeah, they're, they are, they're older now and they are contributing to society. And there are, there are parents uh, in our churches right now. They've got young kids. They're trying to navigate that. And guess what? Those millennials, as their kids grow up, they're going to be the parents of toddlers and then grade school kids and eventually youth. And then they're going to see those kids move off to college or whatever to the next step is in their life. And we're going to be talking about their first grandkids here before we ever turn around. So we're not talking about, well, you do X, Y, and Z, and in six months you'll have this licked. This is a long-term, lifelong process that we're going to have to be on. And I think it's a good thing for churches to wrestle with because, again, we can't take anything for granted. And we've taken a lot for granted, if we're going to be really honest, for many years in America. And when you can't take anything for granted, you've got to put the Bible in one hand and you've got to take the culture in the other and you've got to say, okay, what do I do with this truth in this hand and how do I get it to the culture in the other hand? And you've got to learn to start really thinking critically and looking through the the scripture color lenses, so to speak, that the Bible offers. And you've got to do things a lot more doctrinally, missionally, and strategically than probably we ever have in probably a hundred years in America uh, as it relates to the church. And so don't think that, you know, this little conversation that we're having, if you're listening to this, uh, you know, over the course of, you know, 50 minutes to an hour is going to give you all the solutions. It's not. Hopefully what we're doing is at least giving some, some direction, some things to just really kind of plant uh, your feet on to move forward. Uh, We don't want to just, as non-millennials try to shoot from the hip and say, well, here it is. I went to a conference. I heard this. Let's do this. This will be great. It's not going to work that way. This is something where we've got to spend time with them, get to know millennials. Uh, If if you're not having conversations with them, take them out to lunch when we can finally get out of our, our quarantine, you know, but you know, build those relationships with them. And as we learn, we make adjustments because millennials have so much to offer the church today. Like we could even do an entire episode, honestly, on the positive impact of millennials on the global church. I totally agree. I think that's one of the, um, the blessings we have. Uh, so so let, let's, let's tie this together, kind of where we started with understanding how the church sort of bridges uh, the, the, the truths of scripture to the realities of life and how you experience that and learn that in the context of a, of a faith community like, like the local church. Let's talk about why that's as valuable. And, and here's how I would frame the, the explanation. Some millennials grew up in families that loved the Lord and were faithful examples of what it means to follow Jesus. And so when they become adults and have their own families, they're looking to be part of a church that has that very same thing. We have some in our church at First Baptist. They grew up in church. They love the Lord. They never really walked away from the faith. 
they may have had a, a season or two in life where they weren't as faithful, but but they're they're in the in the middle of it and they love it. And what they want, and they've expressed to me, many of them expressed to me how they long to have older men and women in their lives teaching them how to be parents, how to be husbands and wives, and how to live faithfully for the Lord and 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 how to approach their jobs. I mean, some of these young men and women have real hard work situations they have to deal with. They need men and women that they respect and honor as godly men and women to give them good advice and good godly wisdom for how to live life. And so on the one hand, young adults and millennials are looking for a family that they've known before and they want to be part of that. You also have a segment of the millennial generation that never had that. And maybe some of their presuppositions about the, about the Christian faith and church are based upon the fact that they've only seen it from the outside looking in. They were never really part of a church family, but they're craving that community. They're craving a place where they can go, where they can be honest about who they are, honest about what they believe, honest about their struggles, and they're not going to get pushed out to the curb because they're not like us or you're not like us. This The church cannot function that way. We stand on the truth. We stand on the doctrines of scripture. We don't back down from, from the truth, but we have to be compassionate and merciful to people and understand that some of them are coming to this having either wrong ideas or no ideas about the Bible and about what the Bible teaches and the value of the local church. And so they're craving a family to be part of, which is why we so often uh, describe the church as a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, God our Father, Christ our brother. We are united in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, our Savior, our elder brother, right? People are craving this, which is why they find community or seek community in all these other areas of life. But the church is the only place where you see the combination of a deep love for one another and abiding truth that never changes. And so when we look at it this way, you have human lives who are incredibly valuable in the eyes of God, but who have maybe rejected the church or rejected the Christian faith, but are looking for community. We have to see that as an opportunity. All right. We cannot say, oh, you don't agree with us. Get, get lost until you figure it out. This is not about you cleaning up your act so that you can be part of the family. You become part of the family when you look to Jesus and the rest of your life is about cleaning up your act. It's about Jesus cleaning up your act really is what it's all about. And so we have to change the perception in some ways as Christians we don't expect you to be really good or really perfect before you can be part of us. This is a hospital. Come and get healed. Come and be part of the family. Now, there, there are some steps we take to do that, certainly, but we cannot, we cannot expect millennials to embrace what we believe if they're not sure that we believe it ourselves. That, that's one of the biggest obstacles that the church has. How can we expect them to get on board with, with following Christ and and trusting in Jesus and being part of a local church when the people who are already doing that are not fully convinced that it's the right way to live already. This is a big, big problem. And millennials have a lot to contribute to the life of the church. There's energy, there's ingenuity, there's innovation. There's a lot that they can bring to the life of the church for the sake of the next generations. So we have to welcome them in and embrace them and give them opportunities those who come to faith in Christ to be an active living part of the church family. But we also, as you said earlier, Dave, we also have to be able to, to answer their questions and ask them some hard questions too. 
So when they tell us what they believe, we can ask them, okay, why do you believe that? Where do you get that belief from? And, and those conversations is what is what leads to healthy discipleship. And as you said, and I love the point you made, this is not going to be an easy road. I, I believe the days of the gigantic sort of crusades and missions where droves and droves of people flood into stadiums and, and all these people are coming to faith in Christ. It, those, those things are really hard to pull off these days because there's so much skepticism around those large, huge events. I think if we're going to see revival take place in the local church, through the local church, all over the world, it's going to come one-on-one -on -one or in small groups of people relating to and loving one another. And that includes a generation of 79, 80 million millennials. Them, their children, and one day their grandchildren need to know that we love them and they can be a vital part of the local church. We have to meet them where they are without acquiescing to the culture's beliefs, holding strong to our own beliefs. I think that is one of the keys going forward as a church. If we're going to reach the next generation, we have to see that as an opportunity, not just as an obstacle. Yeah, I love what millennials who are believers are looking for in a church because it so well defines what the church is intended to be. You've got a group who want the truth of the gospel practically applied to daily life, lived out in community. That's the church. I, you know, that is something that we all should be able to get behind. And if you really want to reach millennials that are unbelievers, then let's let's make sure we are connecting well with those millennials who are believers in our local churches. Let's not isolate them or put them to the side or continue on with some odd notion that, well, you're the church of the future. When you get to be a certain age, well, then you can have some input into this. But right now, it's our time. No, if, if they're believers in Christ, if they are maturing, on their spiritual journey, then they have incredible input to give our local churches. And they are actually best equipped to reach their millennial peers. Sure, a lot of millennials will likely listen to some folks of an older generation on certain things because they just sort of want to hear a different perspective. So long as the conversation is civil and uh, compassionate, but for another millennial to speak to one of their own in their age group from their own culture and to speak that truth, it has powerful implications. It has an amazing testimony to that unbelieving millennial that, look, you're like me. I don't believe this. You shouldn't believe this but yet you do, and it has a very real impact in your life, perhaps I should give it a little more thought. And so one of the key things, I think, to reaching millennials in the local church is being faithful to utilize the millennials that God has already given us. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think this is a gift to the, to, the, to the world, to the society. If the church established as a fixture in the community of love, of truth, of patience, of service, um, compassion. Um, we can, we can share that 
with all generations. That's why we at First Baptist love tying our generations together in worship, often as we can in Bible study. Life should be shared together. There are times when it's okay to break up into to age grades or age groups, certainly. But a lot of what we do at First Baptist is meant to bring everyone together. I think that's the best way to build the strongest kind of community because everybody gets to serve. One of my favorite sort of sites on Sunday morning, and unfortunately we haven't seen it in the last several weeks because we haven't been together uh, because of this crisis. But one of my favorite images is looking at my church family during a greeting time and seeing a young mom with her four-year-old hugging an older woman in the church and them talking and 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 just sharing in a moment of fellowship. That's one of those beautiful images. You have two generations separating them in some cases, and yet they're in worship together to praise God. It's such a beautiful image. And to see young dads or young men going to older men and, and talking about uh, healthy, wise, godly business practices. It's just a that's what the church is supposed to be. It's mostly ordinary. And I say this a lot of times that people are kind of uh, bothered by it. The Christian life is 98% ordinary in the sense that it's day by day. You get up, you go to work, you live your life, you you you, you love, you parent, you, you, you're responsible, you go to vote every once in a while, you buy groceries, you go out to eat, you build a birdhouse, whatever, right? Like you just, it's most of its ordinary days with 2% of them being really crazy, wild, extraordinary experiences. The beauty of the gospel in the lives of both millennials and other generations is God is alive in all those ordinary moments. And I think that is one of the things that millennials are looking for. They're tired of experiences. They're tired of looking for the next high, the next exciting thing, the next adventure. They certainly want those things from time to time. I think what they want is some balance and some some ordinary sort of days just to see God being faithful to them in the simplest instances in life. That is one of the great testimonies in the church because you see that lived out in very real ways, um, multiple sort of variable ways over different age groups in the life of the local church. And so this is why we as a church and as churches should want to reach the next generation. They are the biggest. They have some of the best ideas but it's simply because it's what they add to the beauty of the local church. And I think that's what God wants for us to seek. And so I think pursuing that is a major, major emphasis. And there are some challenges we have to face in order to do that. But I think we're up for it if we're willing to follow God's plan and, and seek to live like Christ commands us to live. That's all for this episode. Thank you again for listening to Footnotable. If you enjoy our weekly musings, please be sure to subscribe and share this podcast. A five-star rating will be much appreciated too. You can keep up with Foot Notable on social media through the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts of First Baptist Church Baton Rouge. You can find all three at username FBCBR or on our website at FBCBR.com. If you want to connect with Oren and myself on social media, our individual information is listed in the show notes. Know that our prayers are with you. Stay healthy, and we'll talk to you again next week.